0: Welcome, welcome. Glad you're here at Next Today. Honored that you would choose to be a part of what God's doing with us here in Next at Grace Church. And uh, as always, we hope that you are encouraged and inspired by what you hear today. And we also hope that you are challenged and motivated as well. Podcasters, thank you so much for listening in. Wherever you are and whatever you're doing, we appreciate you spending time with us today as well. Thank you uh, for the donuts, which I didn't need. Uh, The fruit, that was awesome. Katie, Ty, thank you so much for that. And uh, Troy and all the uh, rest of the folks, Steve Elsenrath. whenever he's here, that get all the coffee together and all of that stuff. I just appreciate you guys so much for making that work and taking care of business. Thank you for that. So we are continuing our series today, Listen, Look, Speak. And the theme of this series has kind of developed over the last several weeks, really to, to be about perspective about how I see, what I see, what's God doing in my life right now at this moment and how am I looking at that? Where's the supply really coming from for the things that I need? And then the last last week and the last couple of weeks, how I see who I see, how I look at the people around me. And as we talk about the look part of listen, look, speak, we've talked about our perspectives and our frameworks and if we're looking at situations, at needs, at people, at events, in the best way, in a complete way. And what we've seen is that a lot of times we just lack perspective. Our frameworks are incomplete. And because of our lack of perspective, what we often think of as the problem isn't really the problem at all. So last week we spent some time in in John chapter 8, with the story about the woman caught in adultery and brought before Jesus. And there are a lot of cultural and religious frameworks that are being exposed in that story. But ultimately, it comes down to the stripping away of someone's humanity. They made that woman an object and a means to an end so that these religious leaders could prove their own rightness at the expense of her identity as a person. At the expense of her identity as a broken but still valuable child of God. And so eventually we got around to seeing how Jesus handles broken people. And that's, that's a lesson for us. How Jesus handles broken people. In that he presents this third previously hidden option that both upholds the word of God but never dehumanizes anyone. Jesus got his point across without destroying her. The harshest criticism that he had for someone in that story wasn't for the woman that was caught in sin, but it was for the religious elite, The, the, the people that were supposed to know what was going on. That was who his harshest criticism was for because they were using her and striving for their own personal justification while she was being made as an object. He told the religious specialists, If you will, let the one of you who is without sin go ahead and cast the first stone. Jesus is telling them, all of you little judges need to get your eyes off of her sin and mind your own. And that is an excellent segue into our scripture text for today. It's almost like I planned it like that. Because it's all about judging and being a judge. So today, how I see, who I see, part two. And this is like a combo deal. Everybody likes a good deal. So you're getting a really good deal today. This is like a combo deal, because this is how I see who I see, how I see others and myself. So, so combo deal today. To lead into this material, let's look at one of probably the better known passages in the Bible. People that don't even believe in the message of the Bible still use this scripture. This is what it says in Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 6, New Living Translation. Do not judge others, and you will not be judged. For you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. And why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? Look at your neighbor and say, what's that in your eye? (laughs) Yeah. How can you think of saying to your friend, Let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye. Hypocrite. First, get rid of the log in your own eye, and then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. Don't waste what is holy on people who are unholy. Don't throw your pearls to pigs. They will trample the pearls, then turn and attack you. Listen to what it says in uh, the message uh, translation in verses 1 and 2. It says, don't pick on people. Jonathan Coley, sorry. Don't pick on people. Don't jump on their failures. Criticize their faults. Unless, of course, you want the same treatment. Because that critical spirit has a way of boomeranging. So there are a couple of perspectives that are exposed here in this passage. And the first one, for those of you taking notes, the first perspective that is exposed here deals with people outside of the church who are sick and tired of moral superiority. Sick of the holier-than-thou, look-down-your-self-righteous-nose-at-me posturing of people who are already in the church. There are people who are sick of people in the church taking a critical stance and pointing out what's wrong with their lives and using the Bible like some type of eternal heavyweight battle hammer telling them how they're supposed to live their lives. We need to understand that people don't like it whenever we do that, okay? Understand and remember that there are good people who operate from the perspective of, I'm sick of being judged by so-called Christians in the church. That's one perspective that's being exposed here. But there's another perspective that's at work here in Matthew 7. And the second one is people already in the church Wanting to maintain a a healthy, God-oriented means of making value judgments about the things going on around them. So we're talking about sincere people who love God, sincere people who really love people, who ask sincerely, genuinely, is this this a good thing for us? Is Is this what God wants? What would God think about this? If we do this, whatever this is, if we do this, does that get us closer to Jesus and closer to his mission or farther away? Those are just those are some really great questions and they have merit and value. And all of us would be a lot better off if we asked questions like that. Now, this is uh, this is just a little bit dangerous, but I don't think that's what Jesus is talking about in this passage. When Jesus said don't judge others unless you want to be judged yourself, I don't think Jesus was telling us you don't need to make value judgments about things. You don't need to make value judgments about trends. You don't need to make value judgments about events or decisions or actions. So let's let's get this out of the way first so we can get into this. We all do it. We all judge. We all make value judgments. We do it multiple times a day. Anytime you determine the value of a thing, you're judging. And I'm pretty sure what Jesus is getting at is is something more than a value assessment. Instead, I think, he's pointing out the fact that you can be in a box with your value assessments to the point that you have an incorrect perspective and framework on people. Do I need to say that again? Jesus is getting at the fact that you can be in a box a certain framework, a certain reference, where whenever you make a value judgment, you're looking at people the wrong way. So whenever you're looking at, uh, looking at people that maybe don't hold the same values you hold, you dehumanize them. And this is, this is so fitting, isn't it, in our current political climate? Where people are de devalued and dehumanized because they hold a different political stance than someone else they don't have the same opinion you have they don't have the same opinion that your group that you're signed up with has and so people get turned into an object and and here's the danger and you see this i'm going to use the word you here but we're we're talking about everybody When you don't actually want them, down deep where you won't admit it, you don't actually want certain people to have your opinion because you need them to continue being the way that you don't like so that you can justify your feelings about them. And that's called collusion. I I don't want you to change. I don't like the way that you present it. I don't like the way you feel about it. I don't like the way you talk about it. I don't like the way you think about it. But I don't want you to change because I need you to keep feeling that way about it so I can feel justified in the way I feel about it. That's called collusion. And we say we want change. Y'all are looking at me like... We say we want change, but the the thing is, we've already actually made a decision about reality. And we need that reality to stay the way it is because it makes us feel right. If you're a little bit uncomfortable right now, that makes me very happy. I'm going to try to make you feel better by the time we leave. What's invisible to us is that we so desperately need to feel right about the culture, about the politics, about the world that we wouldn't want it to change if it did because the need to be right about the culture is what's driving us instead of a real desire for transformation. And guys, it's pride. It's just it's stinking pride. It it is a moral superiority based in pride that has hijacked our truth. Stinking pride, it'll get you Now in the middle of all this, I want you to keep in mind, this is not about being a pushover, it's not about being wishy-washy or indecisive or cowardly about making value judgments or value assessments. That's not what this is about. It's about recognizing whether or not you're inside of a certain box, a certain framework with your opinion and motives or are you embracing a perspective on uh, on people, a framework on people that preserves their dignity their humanity, and their image of God. How do you present your ideas to people who don't hold your same values? How do you present God's ideas from Scripture to people that don't hold your same values? Do you tend to be more quiet? Just not say anything because you don't want to rock the boat? are you overbearing and abrasive do you see them as a person as a prodigal child of god as an estranged brother or an estranged sister do you see them that way or do you see them as a faceless nameless lifeless worthless non-person on a screen And you've got to do everything in your power to set it right. And write your holy comments, thus saith the Lord, into that little box on the screen for millions of people to read. How how many of you have ever, um, (laughs) tell on yourselves right here, how many of you have ever fallen for the trap of a clickbait article? clickbait. It's, it's that article that's, that's phrased a certain way online just to get you all hot and bothered and make you click on it, and it's just for the purposes of generating ad revenue. So how many of you have, have done that before? You've clicked on it, okay? It, it's worded just to get you fired up, just to get you worried and emotional. Seven laws Nancy Pelosi snuck through Congress while you were asleep last night. You won't believe what this lead Democrat said to the suffering veteran about his sick puppy. Or how about this one? Um, Joel Osteen's shocking comments on Common Core and the Easter Bunny. I mean, it's just, oh, what did he say now? If you get sucked into one of those, have you ever taken the time to read the comments? I see that a lot on YouTube sometimes. I say it a lot, I see it a lot on YouTube sometimes. I see it a lot on YouTube. Somebody will just say, I'm just here for the comments. Don't care about the video, just here for the comments. You ever read the comments? Do you understand that they don't represent God? That they don't represent what is holy and loving? That those those comments do not reflect the heart of Jesus? Now, every once in a while, you'll see some incredibly Christ-centered, wise comments, but they're not many. Because social media dehumanizes people, and it puts you in a, in a glowing screen, this shiny, market-researched, data-targeted, finely-tuned digital box. And you and the millions of other people that you encounter there, you're not people anymore, you're just your digital data. And in the middle of all that, you've got well-meaning Christians, I think, screaming, heresy, corruption, sin must smite. And they appoint themselves God's digital social media crusader. And they're going to fix everything in the world by writing words in a tiny box. Come on, somebody. Don't do that. Don't do that. It's not my focus today, but I'm kind of here already. So I'll just say, say it this way. We, the church, we need a moral, Christ-inspired approach to social media. And for some of you, your solution has been, I'm just not on it. But it's still affecting your life in ways that you, you may not be direct, but it's still indir- indirectly affecting your life. And that's a free sermon point, but it's still good. So let's think about the humanity of people, the the hundreds, the thousands, the millions of people who could potentially see and, and read and most likely misinterpret the meaning behind the words that you put into that little box on the screen. Remember their humanity. That was the whole point of last week with the woman caught in the act of adultery. Preserve someone's humanity. Preserve someone's image of God. Love them like Jesus loves them instead of making them a means to an end. And there's nothing wrong with making judgments, but there is something wrong if the process and the fallout of those judgments cause you to treat people in a way that is inconsistent with the values and the heart of Jesus. So let's talk a little bit about values and inconsistency. Speaking of those, I don't know if y'all have noticed this or not, but humans as a whole are frequently not consistent with their declared values. They say they value one thing, but then their actions tell you something else. Have y'all noticed that? They don't always live out what's on the website. They don't always live out what's in the, what's in the Facebook profile. Now look, I want y'all to really listen to what I'm about to tell you. No one wants to be a hypocrite. Nobody wakes up in the morning and looks in the mirror and says, yes, I'm going to be the fakest person on earth today. I can't wait to get out the door and explore all of the ways that I can be inconsistent and just wreak havoc and confusion everywhere I go by being a hypocrite. I can't wait. Nobody does that. Hypocrites are the most reviled people in society. Nobody likes a hypocrite. Nobody likes a hypocrite. Nobody wants to be a hypocrite. The greatest irony of hypocrisy to me is is that most often the people declaring others to be a hypocrite is himself, usually, a hypocrite. Let me give you the greatest strategy for ensuring that you do not become a hypocrite. The key to not being a hypocrite is not to never make a value judgment. That's not it. You can make a value judgment and not be a hypocrite. The key is to look inward instead of outward and see where I personally am a pretender. In me myself, Whenever it comes to my declared values. So the key is this. To not being a hypocrite. It works like this. Jason. Are you lining up with what's on the website? Jason are you lining up with what's in scripture? With what's in the manual? If not. Why not? And what are you going to do about it? Are you lining up with what you say you believe? If not. Why not? And what are you going to do about it today? That's how. You make a value judgment without being a hypocrite. You know, Jesus is the only one who could ever call anybody a hypocrite. Because he's the only one who never pretended. He's the only one who never failed. He and he alone always met his declared values. And the rest of us? (laughs) Well, we are broken people serving broken people. Uh, you know, grace is messy. And church is messy. And you're at Grace Church. Everyone say hypocrite. Look at your neighbor. Tell them, hypocrite? Mm-hmm. Hypocrite. Some of you did that too well. Hypocrite. The word hypocrite comes from this Greek word. Hippokritos. So that's your Greek word for the day. Hippokritos. Say that. Hippokritos. It means faceplate or mask. And it refers to Greek theater, where uh, Greek actors often would have to play multiple roles. So they would come out on stage wearing one mask. And then they would have to take on another role, so they would come out on stage wearing another mask. So hypocrite means to be an actor or to be in character. So whenever Jesus here in our scripture text says hypocrite, he's saying you're an actor. You're you're in character. This isn't who you really are. You're just playing a part at the moment. And you change based on the setting and based on the narrative in the moment. So whenever you're with these people, you act this way. But whenever the setting changes and you're with these other people, you act a different way. Whenever the narrative of the story lacks conflict, you act one way and say these things. But whenever the narrative changes and conflict comes in, you act a different way and say different things. You're a hypocrite. I'm going to try this one more time. We're all broken people. Serving broken people. We are living with brothers and sisters who are broken. You look at them and tell them, you broke. You broke. So we all have that in common, but something else we all have in common is that we have experienced and we are currently living in grace. And grace is messy. And church is messy. And so here we are together at Grace Church of Central. And so it's going to be really messy. But if you feel like you have to get into character whenever you come to church, you're going to the wrong church. If you feel like you have to somehow become someone and put on a mask to come here, then we are doing it wrong. And the whole thing is off and misguided. People have to be able to come just as they are, no matter how long they have been exposed to grace. If it's been one day, one year, 30 years, we have to give people the grace to come as they are. Because that's what grace does. And so, if we can... We say that. We'll say, oh, we just love for people to come as they are. We say that, but I don't know if we understand it. I'm not even sure I do. But we need a a church culture where we can admit church is messy. And I'm okay with that. Grace is messy, and I'm okay with that. Because whenever, let let me tell you what happens. You've been in moments like this where somebody takes the mask off, and it's like, "Uh uh-oh. This just got real. People start looking at each other like, oh, uh, what just happened? What do we do now? <laughs> what, like, what do we do now? They just told the truth. They, they were authentically vulnerable. What, what do we do now? It needs to get real. Salvation, look, salvation is not trading one mask for another. Salvation isn't taking off a secular mask and putting on a new religious mask. That's not salvation. Salvation is taking off every mask and saying, Jesus, this is me. All of me. The good parts, the bad parts. The talents, the abilities, but the hang-ups, the baggage, and the issues too. This is me. This is me, and I need grace Please don't leave me the way you found me. The best way to avoid being a hypocrite is to avoid self-deception. There's this book by the Arbinger Group called The uh, The Art of Leadership and Self-Deception. And they define self-deception in the book as this. Self-deception is not knowing and resisting the possibility that one has a problem. Self-deception is not knowing and resisting the possibility that one has a problem. Anyone ever been guilty of that? My hand is not up for suggestion. My hand is up and through, by, by means of admission. <laughs> Hi, my name is Jason Cooper and I regularly engage in self-deception. How are you? Yes most of us most of us especially those of us that came up in church that grew up in church most of us were raised in a way that you had to be right as a survival mechanism and most of us thought we were pretty right until we got married and then we realized we're pretty much wrong all the time We like to be right There's this need to justify, justify, justify. And that's how we get into this box, this framework of judgmentalism. That's how we get locked into these incomplete perspectives and and incorrect frameworks of looking at people. And we will manufacture every excuse about what we do and about how we think to make it as palatable and sweet as possible. And it will always be somebody else's issue whenever it's really me at the heart of the problem. I better get back to the text. Matthew 7 and 1. Jesus said, Do not judge so that you won't be judged. Did you catch that? Jesus said, Don't judge and you won't be judged. Anybody here tired of being judged? I've got your answer. I've got your answer. If you find, if you feel that you're being judged... Here's that, here's that secret self-deception at work. It sounds like this. I'm just tired of people judging me, and they won't accept me for who I am, and everybody has these unrealistic expectations of me, and they just un- un- don't understand what it's like to be me and how I was brought up and what I had to go through and who I had to live with every day and all the problems I've got in my life, and they're always in my life judging me and the decisions i made, and who are they to tell me? That's what it sounds like. Before you get all worked up about people judging you, go look in the mirror and see how you are doing it to other people. Because judging people draws judgment. I told you all last week, this lit me up because of my little thing with whatever was on the TV and I got all mad. And I was railing and setting it right and telling everybody exactly how I thought. Didn't sound a bit like Jesus. Very judgmental. Very unloving and insensitive. Judging people draws judgment. I don't want to be judged. So guess what? I don't need to judge other people. I'm going to take some personal responsibility. That's something that our culture has pretty much forgotten. So instead of it being this group over there and that bunch of heathens over there and this person in that group, they don't love God. They left the truth. They never had the truth. Instead of blame, 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 because it's easier to blame somebody else than to, you know, for my problems. And it could be our own messed up and flawed perspectives, our own incomplete and inaccurate frameworks that's actually causing the problem. And if we will hit pause for just a minute and consider how we see who we see, then we'd see the world and people the way Jesus sees the world and people. Don't judge. And you won't be judged. Bible fact for the day. Write it down. So let's talk about corrected vision. Got about 10 minutes left. I think we can pull this off. Corrected vision. How I see who I see. Let's say it like this. How to see who I see and make Jesus smile. How to see who I see and make Jesus smile. Let's go back to our text. Matthew 7 verses 3 through 5 says this. Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye but don't notice the log in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye and look, there's a log in your eye. Hypocrite. First, take the log out of your eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Now, I really wish the story that I'm about to tell you was my story, but it isn't. Happened to a friend of mine, so I just want y'all to do me a favor. Just listen and pretend like it's my story. But this is what he told me. He said, uh, he said my co-worker Stan the other night just happened to be following a customer into the restroom. He worked at, uh, works at a sporting goods supply company. So, so Stan follows this guy, this customer, into the restroom, and just by coincidence, at the same time, the security scanners began going off loudly. And it was very awkward. So Stan did his diligent duty as an employee and informed the customer that he had followed into the restroom that he was gonna have to search his bags. And the customer protested and said, but these bags are actually from another store. I literally walked in the door to your store and came into the restroom. And Stan insisted, being convinced, that the beeping of the security scanners by the bathroom meant that something was was wrong, something was off. And so the man finally relented. Even though he said, you know, look, I'm innocent, but fine, go ahead, check my bags. And, and Stan checked his bags and didn't find anything in the bags. Completely kosher. And Stan noticed, though, somewhat strangely, that the security scanner went off again whenever he walked out of the restroom. That's weird, he thought. Must be something wrong with the security scanner. It's, it's malfunctioning in some way. About an hour later, Stan was at the end of his shift for the night, and he had gone into the employee's uh, break room to take his vest off and found in his vest a whole pocket full of security tags that he had left from an earlier project. He was the one who was setting off the security scanner in the bathroom. It wasn't the customer with the problem. It wasn't the security scanner with the problem. Stan (laughs) was the problem. Ladies and gentlemen this is this is the error right here in how we see who we see because we will mistakenly point judgment at someone else because we think they have the problem. Meanwhile we've got a whole pocket full of problems. Dostoevsky once said, Above all, do not lie to yourself. The man who lies to himself and listens to his own lie comes to a point that he cannot distinguish the truth within him or around him and so loses all respect for himself and for others and with no respect he ceases to love. Don't lie to yourself. You got problems. A whole pocket full of problems. I've got a whole pocket full of problems. I've got multiple pockets full of problems. If you're going to see who you see correctly, then you want to acknowledge your problems first before throwing the spotlight on somebody else's problems. I want to touch on this from our scripture reading. In verse 3, Jesus said, Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye but don't notice the log? in your own eye so in the greek in the greek that word look comes from the word to see just like in the natural to see having vision seeing stuff but later on it uses a different word uses the word notice why do you look at the speck in your own eye and your brother's eye but don't notice the log in your own that that other word notice is a different word that word means comprehension understanding depth of knowledge right and correct thinking about something, usually in a spiritual context. So you could render that Scripture this way. But how do you see the speck of dust in your friend's sight, but do not understand, perceive, understand in your right mind the log that is in your own sight? You're seeing a speck of dust in your friend's eye, but you've got a tree growing out of yours. He needs a set of tweezers. You need to hire a logging company. The ancient Greek theologian Anastasius said you cannot put straight in others what is warped in yourself. So be careful. Because it's always easier to blame others than to fix you. Now I want to give you some hope today. Don't don't like to leave y'all hopeless. I've just talked about problems and problems and problems today. So that there's hope for us to get our vision corrected. There's hope for how we see, who we see. And here it is. In the moment, Whenever I have to make a value judgment. In the moment where an issue comes into play. And I've got to live with a messy solution. One that obeys scripture and demonstrates love like Jesus. Have y'all had those moments? So in that moment, whenever that issue comes into play and you've got to live with that messy solution that obeys Scripture and demonstrates love, in that moment of tension, whenever I see that other person as a person with needs and hopes and worries and dreams, see them as a person who is just as real and just as legitimate as I am, then in that moment, how I see who I see is right then I've got the right framework. Then I've got the right perspective. The moment I help someone with a speck of sawdust in their eye while being conscious of the California redwood that's growing out of mine, in that moment, then my perspective on how I see who I see is right. And that makes Jesus smile. It works like this. Jason, look, man, I, I, I don't know. I've got this problem in my life, and I just don't know how to make it work. I've got this speck in my eye, man, and it just won't come out. No matter what I do, it keeps nagging at me, and it keeps bothering me, and I, I just I can't get this figured out. So I know that I act all crazy and irritable sometimes, and I say stupid stuff, and I hurt people, but it's not me. Jason, it's just it's this stupid speck in my eye that I don't know what to do with. And in response to that, I say, man, listen, at least you didn't have to call in a logging company to get rid of your problem like I did. You might have some issues that you need to work through, but they aren't going to have to come in and spray Agent Orange in your eye like they did in mine. It sounds like you've got some mess to deal with, friend, and I'll help you where I can, but I want you to keep in mind that you're talking to a guy that had the Amazon rainforest growing out of his eye, and there's still a lot of clear-cut timber there left to be dealt with. How many of you guys ever hunted a clear-cut before? It's a bunch of mess, isn't it? So we can, look, friend, with that speck in your eye, we can talk about Scripture, and I'll help you where I can, and we'll just have to pray that Jesus will help us with the rest. What a breath of fresh air that would be to someone who is hurting and afraid of judgment. Do so you want to make sure you want to make sure how you see who you see with 2020 vision and seeing the right way? I'm going to give you three steps. They're real easy. Here they are. This is how to make sure how you see who you see is absolutely correct. Number 1, judge yourself first. Number 2, help others after. Don't get those two mixed up. Judge yourself first. Number two, help others after. And number three, reach with humility, not superiority. Judge yourself first. Help others after. And then reach with humility, not superiority. In other words, this is what I mean by that. Reach where people are, not to where you think they should be. I wanted to talk about the pearls before swine bit. But we don't really have time. I'll just tell you, maybe we can deal with it next week real quick. But that, that part always bothers me. Don't throw your pearls before swine. Like, you know, don't throw your, the things, your wisdom, the things that you've learned in front of people that aren't worthy. But that's always bothered me because I don't feel like that's how Jesus approached it. I don't think Jesus said, oh, you're, these people aren't worthy of it. And, and that, that, that wasn't his approach at all. I think it's got more to do with discerning the appropriate time and B.T., What's the best seed to put on this soil in this moment? So we, we might touch on that next week. But um, I didn't want to leave that there without having touched on it. Um, don't, want to, don't want to be judged? Me either. Don't judge. Unless you're judging yourself. Take care of you first before you try to help someone else. And then reach for them where they are not where you think they should be or have to be. God bless you.